But uh, as you are opening your Bibles, I want you to turn to Psalm 66. Psalm 66. We're going to be going through many different passages of Scripture today, but we're going to start at Psalm 66 because we're doing a series here at Thrive that's called The Heart of Worship. Everyone say, The Heart of Worship. Are you guys awake in this place this morning? You guys got your coffee this morning? Yeah? Are you, guys, are you guys awake? Okay, let me just say this again. We're going to do a series that's called The Heart of Worship. We've just started it a couple weeks ago, right into the series. It's called The Heart of Worship. The reason is because we're looking at what worship is. What does it really mean to worship God? What does it look like to be a true worshiper of God? And what difference does that make in your life and in my life? We're talking about the heart of worship. Everyone say the heart of worship. We're going to look at a, a very, very powerful message this morning. It's called Growing as a worshiper of God, growing as a worshiper of God. See, one of the things that we've been trying to communicate to you during this series is that all of us worship something. We all worship something. It doesn't matter if you're religious or not. We all worship something. What you worship is whatever you put first in your life. Whatever you worship is whatever your life revolves around. Whatever you worship is whatever is at the very center of your being, the very center of your existence. It's what drives you every day. And so whether or not you come from a religious background, we all worship something. What do you worship? If you had to look at your day-to-day, if someone on, on, on the outside was to look at your life day-to-day, what would they say that you worship? See, for some of us, we, we might worship our family. That, you know, our family is everything to us. Our whole lives revolve around that. We spend more time and energy working on our family, thinking about our family, worrying about our family more than anything else. It's, if we'd be honest with ourselves, it's our family that we worship. For some of us, we worship our comfort and our happiness. Is that, oh, we just want to be happy. We want to be comfortable. And so, so many things that we think about, so many things that we do, so many of the decisions we make are all about how can I make myself happy. We worship our happiness. For some of us, we worship money. Is that, you know, for, for some reason, money is the one thing that we obsess over. It's the thing that drives us. It's the thing that causes us to get up early in the morning. It's the thing that causes us to stay up late at night. We're worshiping money. Some of us, we do that. Some of us, you know, we, we worship a certain kind of status or a certain kind of success or a certain kind of, you know, of, of you know, getting a, a certain kind of opinion from certain people. And that's what we really kind of, that's what drives us. That's the center of our lives. That's what our lives revolve around. What is it that you really worship? We all worship something. But can I tell you this? Whereas we need to choose what we worship, the Bible says that we're all called to worship the one and the same thing, and that is we are called to worship God. If you believe it, say amen. amen. That God is the one that we're made to worship. Jesus Christ is the one we're called to worship. See, God commands and demands our worship, but it's not just for his sake. Even more, it's for our sake. It's because until you center your life around worshiping God, you're always going to feel like something is missing. You're always going to feel like life is not complete. You're always going to feel like you don't have enough. You're always going to feel often frustrated with life. It's because you weren't made to worship something less than God. You were made to worship God and God alone. And if you worship something else, the Bible says that you are going it's like, to, it's like trying to fill a God-sized hole with something that is not God. It's just not going to work. But when you start to allow God to be the one that you worship, when you start to let God be the one that you, your life revolves around, you start to experience real peace in your life. You start to experience real hope in your life. You start to experience real purpose in your life. That's when you start growing up to become the person that God made you to be. If you believe that, say amen. You and I were made to worship God. And the more you grow as a worshiper of God, the more you're going to experience his peace, his hope, his purpose in your life. And so today, in this, in this message called Growing as a Worshiper of God, I want to talk about three habits 
of a true worshiper. Three habits that you and I need to get into if we want to grow up in our worship. How many of us know that your worship life was never meant to stay the same? You know, I've been Christian now for 25 years, and I can tell you that the way that I worship God today is different from the way that I worship God 25 years ago. And hopefully, it's a better way. Hopefully, it's a more mature way. Hopefully, I'm not in the same place I used to be because now I've grown up as a worshiper of God. And I don't have it all put together. I'm, per- I'm, I'm, I'm certainly not a perfect worshiper. But today, I want to share with you three times in my life where my worship of God changed. Where my, the way that I looked at worship, the way that I worship God started to go to another level because of a change in my attitude or a change in my habits. That's why today we're talking about three habits of a true worshiper. Three transition points that I believe every follower of Jesus will go through at some point or another as you get deeper and stronger as a worshiper of God. And if you're ready for that, let's go right now. Church, take good notes today. Number one is this, is be intentional about how you worship God at church. Be intentional about how you worship God at church. How intentional are you when you come into a, a worship service on a Sunday morning? How focused are you? Or do you just kind of kind of just go with your feelings? Oh, I feel tired today. You're just very focused on that. You, oh, oh, that girl looks cute. Oh, I'm going to look at her for a bit instead of the screen. Oh, that's it, 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 we, we, How focused are you? How intentional are you when you come into a worship service? You know, for many, many years, I uh, was not very intentional at all. In fact, I grew up at church. Uh, my, my, my mom and my dad, they met at church. My dad was the choir conductor. My mom was the choir pianist. And, you know, one day they got together, decided to make beautiful music together, and I was a result of that beautiful music, okay? Right. Some of you guys are confused. I'll explain that to you a little bit later, okay? Uh, but, but I was a result of the beautiful music that they made at church. And so I grew up in church. Ever since I was in the womb, I was growing up in church. But for many, many years, I would go to church, and it would be a ritual and nothing more than that. It would be my parents' faith. This is what my parents do. I'm just along for the ride because I can't go anywhere anyways. And I remember, you know, I would be in the back of the service, and it's a, you know, it's a, it's a small kind of kids' youth service, and I'd be at the very back, and I just hated being in that service. It wasn't intentional. I was just, you know, I'd just be in the back. I'd be crossing my hands, crossing my arms this way, folded up. When people are singing, I'm not singing. I hated singing in church. Hated singing. Just didn't know why we did it. Just don't know why we sing. Why do we have to sing? This is like, why do we have to stand? Why do we have to sit down and stand up again? Why do we do this? And so I'd be in the back. I remember one time there was a worship leader at the front who got so frustrated with me. He called, out, called, he called me out in the middle of that worship service and said, JB, you think it's so tough? You, you, you think it's so easy to do this? You come up to the front and you try leading us. And at that point, I thought he, would, he, he thought I was going to be scared by that. But in my arrogance, you know what I did? I said, okay. <laughs> I went up to the front. And I started to try to lead people in the most kind of in the most uh, you know authentic pastor's voice that I could. And and, and at that time, you know, it was like you know, when I look at the Chinese pastors in the church that was, uh, that, that is going to, you know, they, they'd all sing with a very very deep vibrato. They'd be Hallelujah, Hallelujah, Hallelujah. It doesn't have to be on t- in tune. It just has to vibrate a little bit, right? And, and that, that was, that was, and that's, what, that's exactly what I did. I made a total mockery of the service. In fact, it's, it is only by the grace of God and his mercy that God did not strike me with lightning at that very moment. And if you told me that years later that you would be in front of a crowd every week, you know, leading people in worship, I would have laughed and told you, you are crazy. Because at that moment in my life, I just did not take worship very seriously. I was not intentional in worship at all. 
But then I started going to this youth group where people my age who looked just like me, who went to the same schools I did, who liked the same things, when we would spend time together and there would be this time of worship where we would sing these songs together, for me, I'd look at these other people and they'd be, they'd be worshiping and singing as if they really meant it, as if it actually meant something to them. And, and I thought, it's like, what, what is that about? And all of a sudden, it's, it made me curious about, you know, what is this thing that these people have that I don't seem to have? And as I got to explore Christianity more and more and hear about how Jesus Christ, how he died on the cross for us, it, it, it all of a sudden it hit me that all these years I've been going to church, never taking worship seriously, and never really knowing God personally. You know how many of us know that? You can go to church for years and years and years and never truly know God personally until the day you open up your heart to Jesus Christ. And that's what I did. A few, a few months later, after seeing you know, things that I'd never seen before, I opened up my heart, my heart to Jesus Christ. I got baptized. And things didn't change. Everything didn't change all of a sudden. But gradually, things started to change. And what ended up happening in my life was I started to realize that when I'm in a worship service, I actually have a role to play in in, in, in the worship that is given to God. Amen. That, that worship is not just something that I you know, sit and look at other people doing, but that I can be a participant in worship of God. Look at Psalm 66, 1 and 2 with me together. What does it say? Psalm 66, 1 and 2. It says, I will praise you. So, uh, sorry, this is not Psalm 66. Uh, can we go to Psalm, do, do you have Psalm 66? Psalm 66. Way back. Psalm 66. I'll read it here from here. It says, shout with joy to God all the earth, sing the glory of his name, make his praise glorious. Everyone say, make his praise glorious. Make his praise glorious. It says, shout with joy to God, all the earth, sing the glory of his name, make his praise glorious. See, what is it saying? It's saying, hey, guys and gals, church, let's shout to God with joy. Let's sing the glory of his name. Let's make his praise glorious. How many of you guys know that you have a role in making God's praise glorious? Amen? Is that the way you conduct yourself in a church service, the, how intentional and folks you are, plays a role in how glorious is the praise is given to God. And, and you know, all of a sudden I realized that, you know what, all this time my attitude in church had been so bad. I'd be so focused on my feelings, so easily distracted. And you know, I realized that you know, I can completely negate the impact that a service has on me, the impact that a sermon or a message has on me just by having the wrong attitude. Just by focusing on the wrong things, just by not being that focused, just by, you know, being easily distracted. Oh, look at that person. What that person? Oh, do you hear that person do that? Oh, I wonder what's for lunch. And, and you're just so focused on other things, not intentional. And I'm thinking to myself, man, maybe the reason why it took me so long to come to Christ was because I was not intentional in the way that I worship God in church. And see, if, if you're not intentional about the way you worship in church, you know what will happen? Jesus himself could be preaching the most amazing, life-changing, earth-shattering sermon, and you'll be like, oh, what's for lunch this lunch? What, what, what's for lunch today? Where are we going to go? Because it all depends on the condition of your heart. If you believe that, say amen. It's about learning to be intentional. And so one of the things that I learned to do was I learned to take notes in service. 
I had this this Beverly Hills 90210 notebook. Some of you guys know that that's that TV series. I had a Beverly Hills 90210 notebook with Luke Perry and Jason Priestley on the front, and I would bring it up to I'd bring it up to to, to church, and I would, I would open it up and I'd start taking notes and service. And and this is what happened. No one told me to start taking notes, but for some reason I was like, you know, it's going to help me be intentional. And I found this is that when I took notes in service, no longer would the the message go in one ear and out the other, and I forget about it 72 hours later. But I would write things down, and all of a sudden, I'd have something to share in small group. All of a sudden, I could remember and process the stuff that God was teaching me. And so I started taking notes. In fact, I encourage you guys to take notes as well. Amen? I encourage you guys, when you're, when you're listening to the Word of God, don't listen passively like, oh, what's he going to say now? Oh, what's he going to do? But, but you, you want to be almost on the edge of your seat, taking notes on your phone, with a pen, on your iPad, on your computer, because what you're doing is you're coming with an expectant heart. You're being intentional in the way you listen to the Word of God. If you believe it, say amen. Amen? Some of you guys are taking your pens out right now. Very good. That's the, that's the thing, is that when you start taking notes, here's the thing. Why start taking notes? Because even if you never refer to those notes again, even if you never look at those notes ever again, just the whole process of writing something down helps you to process what God is speaking to you. You're going to find that people say that if you want to be a very broad person, you read a lot, you listen to a lot of things, you travel a lot of places. But if you want to become a deep person, a precise person who, who thinks clear thoughts, exact thoughts, it's, it's about learning to write the things that you're processing in your mind. And so I want to encourage you to, to take good notes because not only will it help you in the service, but when you go to small group, you'll have something to share as well. If you believe that, say amen. It's about being intentional in how we worship God. And when you do that, not only are you blessed, but God is glorified as well. See, part of being intentional in worship is remembering why we do what we do in a worship service. Otherwise, your worship becomes a ritual. Otherwise, it's just a bunch of rules taught by men, traditions that you follow without really knowing why. And so let me just go through a few features of how we worship here at Thrive. Praise God, there are so many different churches in our city that worship God in different ways. But can I tell you how we worship Jesus here at church? Look, let me give you a few features, not all the features, but some of the features that, 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 that we do that not, not necessarily other churches do. That's cool. Different churches, different variety. It's all good. But these are some of the things that are distinctive about how we worship God. One is this, lifting your hands in worship. Lifting your hands. Why, why do you lift hands when you worship? Isn't that kind of strange? Why, why, why do we do that? Whether it's this, or, or this, or it's this, or it's this. Why, 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 why do that? Why lift your hands in worship? Well, part of it is because the Bible tells us to do so. Look at Psalm 63, verse 4 with me. 1, 2, 3, it says, I will praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. I'll praise you as long as I live, and in your name I will lift up my hands. Look at another one. Look at Psalm, next one, Psalm 134, verse 2. What does it say? It says, lift up your hands in the sanctuary and praise the Lord. Why? Why lift up your hands? What does that mean? What does that do? Well, let me tell you this. When we lift our hands in worship, why do we do that? Is it just because it looks good in photos? Because, you know, we want to look very spiritual. Is that why we do it? No, it's not why we do it. Let me tell you, there are three reasons why we lift our hands in worship. Let me tell you, number one is this. We lift our hands in worship to show our need for God. It's, 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 it's an outward expression of an inner need for God. It's when we reach for God and say, God, I need you today. God, I can't do anything without you. God, I'm desperate for you. And so because I need you, I lift my hands to you. If you believe that, say amen. That's one of the reasons we, we, we lift our hands. It's to express our need for God. It's saying, God, I humble myself and say, I need you. 
that I'm not God, you are God, and I, I, I need you in my life. Another reason why we lift up our hands, it's, in, it's a way to welcome the Holy Spirit. We're talking earlier today about the Holy Spirit, how he's like a consuming fire, that he is present in our lives. You know, when you lift up your hands in worship, it's saying, God, I welcome you into my life. I welcome you into this place. I welcome you into my church. I welcome you right now into this time. You know, when you're at the airport and you're going to pick someone up that you love, and they're there, they, they, they arrive with their bags and their cart, how do you welcome them? Do you just kind of put your hands in the pocket and go, oh, hey, hey, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Welcome back. Yeah. Hey. How's your flight? Yeah. Hey. Who does that? Who does that? See, when, when, you, when you welcome someone you love at the airport, what do you do? You use your hands, don't you? Use your hands to wave. Hey, hi. Great to see you. How's your flight? Right? Or you lift your hands and you embrace them. Or you lift your hands and say, let me help you with those bags. Let me push your cart for you. What are you doing? You're doing something with your hands. In the same way, when you lift your hands in worship, you are welcoming the Holy Spirit. You're saying, we're so glad that you're Holy Spirit. We're so glad that you're here. We want you here. And so we welcome you in this place. Amen? Amen. It's about learning to welcome the Holy Spirit in an outward fashion. That's why we lift our hands in worship. Another one, why, why do we lift up our hands in worship? Another reason is it's an act of surrender to God. It's us, it's us saying, God... I surrender my life to you. You know, when you're in a war and you're facing an opponent that's too powerful for you, what do you do? You lift your hands and surrender. Say you're breaking into a car, not that you would do that, but say you're breaking into a car, policeman, police, police person comes and goes, hey, stick your hands up. What do you do? You stick your hands up, right? It's a surrender. It's an act of surrender. Say, okay, there's someone more powerful than me in my midst, and I surrender to that person. Amen. That's, what we, that's why we lift our hands in worship. It's an act of surrender to God. And so next time, you know, the worship leader or the pastor says, hey, let's lift our hands in worship to God, know that it's not because we just want to show everyone how spiritual we are. Or we want to look good in photos. Or we want to show people how confident we are about our, uh, you know, underarm odor or lack thereof. You know, it's not about those things. It's about how we are here to show our need for God. We're here to say we welcome you, Holy Spirit. It's also here to, we're also here to say, Holy Spirit, we surrender to you. If you believe that, say amen. 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 That's the first thing that we do that's intentional in our service. Then another one is standing up. You guys are sitting down right now. I'm standing. But when we sing those first few songs at the beginning of the worship service, what are we doing? We are standing up. Why? Why don't we just sit down? Why don't you lie down? Why don't you, why don't you just do that? Why, why do we stand up? Well, we stand up as a way to show honor, respect, and reverence for the one that we're worshiping. Amen. Leviticus 19.32 says it this way. Read it with me in a loud voice. One, two, three, it says, Rise in the presence of the aged, show respect for the elderly, and revere your God. I am the Lord. See, when we rise, we're showing respect and honor for the person whose presence we are honoring. If, if Prime Minister Trudeau came into this room, and you know, regardless of what your political uh, flavor is, if he walks in this room, we would stand in honor of this person who's coming in. It's to show respect. It's to show honor. In the same way, even more, the reason why we stand in service is to show honor and respect to God. Look at Nehemiah chapter 9, verse 3 together. 1, 2, 3, it says, They stood where they were and read from the book of the law of the Lord their God for a quarter of the day and spent another quarter in confession and worshiping the Lord their God. Check that out. What does it say? This, this is Nehemiah leading the Israelites to worship God, and he's saying they stood where they were and read from the book of the law of the Lord for a quarter of the day. What's a quarter of the day? Six hours. Standing for six hours at a time, reading the word of God, and then another six hours worshiping and confessing their sins. Amazing. 
And some of you guys are like, wow, six hours? That's a long, long time. We don't stand for six hours. Our, our, our service is not six hours. Some of you guys are, oh, I'm glad it's not six hours. But the fact is this, is that, you know, Nehemiah, he led the Jews in worshiping for six hours, standing up. Some of you guys are like, well, that, that's, that's fine. I, I work in retail. You know, I'm a pharmacist. I stand up all the time. But for a lot of us, six hours is a very long time to be standing. But that's how they did it. And the reason why we stand is to show honor and respect to God. In fact, you know, in Jesus' time, you know when Jesus would teach the word of God, you know what he would do? Jesus would sit and the people would stand. You know that? Maybe we should try that, eh? I, I, I should sit, and then you guys stand. How's that sound? Does that sound good? But the reason why we don't do that is because, you know, we love you. We, want, we don't want you to be uh, too tired, and that's why we do it that way. Maybe one day we'll do that that way. How's that sound? Maybe one day. But see, that's the thing, is that that's why we stand, is to show reverence and respect for the one that we're worshiping. Here's another one. Praying out loud together. Why do we pray out loud at the same time together? You don't, we don't even hear what each other are saying. Why do we do bother doing that? Let me tell you this. Is it because we like, to, we like noise? Is it because you know, we want to wake up the neighbors? Is that why we do it? Let me tell you why we pray out loud together at the same time. It's because of this. If we all pray silently, I have no idea if you're, if you're praying or you're sleeping. If we're all praying silently, I, you have no idea if I'm actually praying or I'm just thinking about something else. See, when we pray out loud together, what we're doing is we are expressing faith from the inside coming out. And what we do is this. It's not to say that silent prayers are not appropriate. You know, we, there's times for silence. In fact, you, in, your go, in your game time with God, you know, you might have time of silent prayer. I do that all the time. If you, if you watch me, you know, having my game time with God, I will spend a lot of time just being quiet, not doing anything else. But when we're together as a church, there's a reason why we pray out loud together. Let me give you two reasons. One is this. The reason why we pray out loud together is to build an atmosphere of faith. It's to build an atmosphere of faith. I don't know if you find this, but you know, when we pray out loud together, you, you, you're hearing faith come out. The faith is now audible, and you're hearing this person speak. You're hearing this person speak. You're hearing this person speak. And when we're all praying out loud together, what ends up happening is there's an atmosphere of faith that is built in this room where the atmosphere changes. Amen? Where all of a sudden, things don't feel the same way. All of a sudden, there's faith to believe that great things are going to happen in this place. In fact, the Bible says that, you know, Jesus, he would from time to time go to certain towns. And because there wasn't enough faith in the atmosphere, because you didn't sense faith among the people, not much would happen. He'd only do a few miracles, not many. I don't want our church, I don't want Thrive Church to be a place where not much happens. What happened today? Oh, not much. No, I, I want Thrive to be a place where Jesus is working all the time where life change is happening all the time. Lives are being changed. Marriage is being healed. People being restored. Pe lost come to, come to be saved. That we, we see God working all the time, but it happens in an atmosphere of faith. That's why when we pray out loud together, it's for that purpose. It's to build an atmosphere where we believe, God, you can do great things in this place. If you believe that, say amen. amen. That's, the, that's one reason why we pray out loud. There's a second reason. There's a second reason why we pray out loud together is this, is when you pray out loud yourself, you know what happens? You go from being a spectator in worship to a participant in worship. Amen? 
See, worship is never meant to be a spectator sport. You don't worship by watching others worship. You worship by you engaging in worship yourself. And when you start praying out loud with others, what's happening? You go from a spectator who's just watching and listening to others to a participant who's engaging in worship yourself. That's why we say A-E-I-O-U in Thrive. Those are the five letters that we stand for. A is for alive, E is for expectant, I is for involved. We wanna be involved in the worship of God. Look at Psalm 66 verse eight together. What does it say? It says, praise our God, O peoples. Let the sound of his praise be heard. That's why we pray out loud. Another one, it's not on the screen, but saying amen. Why do we say amen? You guys even know what amen means? Amen means I agree. It's just a term in the Bible that just simply means I agree. And when we say amen, it's because we're speaking in response to something that we believe is true. Amen. Amen. And what does that do? Is that when you say amen, what happens? It not just builds you up, but it builds the people around you up as well. It starts to build an atmosphere of faith and unity in this place. Everyone say amen. That's why we say it. Another one, high fives. It's not on the screen, but high fives. Why do we high five all the time? It's just a, a nice way to kind of, you know, give the preacher uh, some time to think about what to say next while you guys high five. And well, in part, yeah, it is. Uh, you know, but, but, the, but, but the bigger reason is this. The bigger reason is when you high five one another, what are you doing? You are, we're creating an atmosphere of encouragement. Not an atmosphere of, oh, just you're judging one another, you're separate and isolated from another, but we are a family together. We're a warm and encouraging group. If you believe that, say amen singing new songs. Why is it that we are always trying to sing new songs here at Thrive? Why don't we just sing old hymns from 200, 300 years ago? Sometimes we do, but not often. Why is it? It's because we want to show that God is always doing new things. Psalm 149 verse 1 says it this way. Read it with a loud voice. 1, 2, 3, it says, praise the Lord. Sing to the Lord a new song. His praise in the assembly of his saints. Look at Psalm 96 verse 1. What does it say? It says, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. You know, one of the reasons why we sing new songs is because we believe God is always doing new things. If you believe that, say amen. And it's because we also want to, you know, appeal to and speak to and reach people who don't normally go to church. And if, if you know, and you gotta understand, how many unchurched people do you know who only listen to organ music? Or who only listen, on, on, on their soundtrack, on their phone, they're only listening to, to songs that are 300 years old. No, I don't know many people who do that. But here's the thing, is that we sing new songs as part of a way to reach people who might not normally go to church. We're not changing the message, but we're packaging the message in a way that is easy for people to receive. People who don't go to church, people who don't know Jesus, they can go, hey, I like that. Hey, I can relate to that. The message is the same way. You know, sometimes, sometimes in church, we'll go verse by verse by verse. Every day in my game time sharing that I'll email to you guys, I'll go, verse by verse by verse of the Bible, but we don't always do that here because we, it's, it's not that we're changing the message, it's that we're packaging the message in a way that is easy for any person off the street to understand because we want to reach as many people in our city for Jesus as possible. If you believe that, give God a big, big hand here in this place. That's what we do. That's why we do it. Amen. It's about being intentional in the way we worship God. Here's another one, shouting to God. Everyone shout to God right now in count of three. One, two, three, shout to God right now. 
Okay, that's like a three out of ten, but that's okay. See, here's the thing. Why do we shout to God? See, one reason is because the Bible tells us so. For the Bible tells us so. See, Psalm 47 verse 1 says it this way. Read it with a loud voice. One, two, three, it says, clap your hands, all you nations. Shout to God with cries of joy. Look at Psalm 81, 1 and 2. What does it say? It says, sing for joy to God, our strength. Shout aloud to the God of Jacob. Stop right there. See, why do we shout for joy? We shout for joy when we're excited. We shout for joy when we're happy. We shout for joy when there's something to celebrate. Amen. And see, God's house, we believe God's house should be the most joyful place in the city. That God's house should be the warmest place in the city. Not just temperature warm, but in terms of that when you walk in, you just feel like there's, there's the love of God in this place. You know, and you know, we want, we want God's house to be the warmest, most inspiring, most celebratory place there is. It's because we've been given the greatest reason to celebrate, which is that God sent Jesus Christ for us. Jesus died on the cross for our sins. He rose again. He's in heaven alive today. And because of that, we have every reason to celebrate. If you believe that, Give God a big hand and give him a big shout as well. Come on. Amen. Amen. That's why we shout to God. It's not just because we love noise. It's not just because we're young. Amen. It's not because we're young. It's because we've got a reason to celebrate. And see, here's the thing. Notice this, though. We shout. We clap. Sometimes we even jump. A little awkwardly, but sometimes we jump. You know, we, 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 we lift our hands. But notice this. You don't see us rolling around on the floor jumping off the walls, using bungee cords, going, woo, let's worship God. Why, why is that? It's because we want to do everything with intentionality and with excellence. Amen. Because God, he appreciates order. He appreciates us when we give our very best. And that's why everything we do is done with intention. It's about learning to be intentional in the way we worship here at church together. So the question is this. When you look at the way that you worship at church, how intentional are you? When you look at the way you worship at church, do you kind of just walk in and just kind of, oh, someone lead me right now. Oh, I feel so tired right now. Oh, I'm so mad at that person right now. And you're not really focusing. Or are you this person who's go, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to discipline myself a little bit. And regardless of how I feel, I'm going to sit on the edge of my seat. I'm going to listen. I'm going to take notes. I'm not just going to take pictures of what I see on the screen, but I'm going to, I'm going to take some of the stuff down that the preacher's preaching because some of the stuff, that some of the best stuff he's giving is not even on the screen. I'm going to write those things down as well. I'm going to worship God and lift my hands even if my neighbor thinks I'm weird. I'm going to, I'm going to shout to God even if my neighbor isn't shouting to God. I'm going to give my very best because when I'm intentional in the way that I worship God, I give God glory. I make his praise glorious. Amen. And when I do that, not only do I make his praise glorious, I grow up as a Christian. I become bolder. I become stronger. And in the process, I might bless and encourage others to be that way as well. Tell a person to give them a high five and say, I'm going to be intentional. I'm going to be intentional. So, so important. If you want to transition from immature worship to mature worship, it's about learning to become an intentional worshiper when you come to church. That's the first thing you got to know today. Number two, if you want to grow as a worshiper of God, a second habit that is so important that you want to get is this. Realize that how you treat others is how you worship God. How you treat others is how you worship God. You know, one of the running themes 
of our series called Heart of Worship that you've heard from different speakers so far is that worship is not just the songs we bring or the prayers we pray. It's not just the offerings that we bring or the tithes that we pay. It's, it's, it's not just the stuff that happens during a 90-minute service. It's not just the ha- stuff that happens within the four walls of a church building, but worship is a lifestyle. Amen. Worship is an all-day, everyday response to how great God is. In fact, let me give you a very simple definition for worship today. You've gotten different definitions over the past couple weeks. Let me give you one more definition, a very simple definition for what I believe is true worship. Write this down. True worship is when I realize who God is and I respond to him with faith, humility, love, courage, and obedience. Amen. True worship is when I get a part of who God is now. I realize, okay, I see that he's holy, or I see that he's just. I see that he's compassionate. I see that he's merciful. I see that he's forgiving. I see that he's powerful. I see that he is just full of grace. And, and, and when you see that, you respond. You don't just go, oh, that's nice, and you walk away. But you respond in some kind of way. You respond with faith. You respond by obeying his word. You respond by humbling yourself. You respond by loving him and loving others. You respond with courage. That could be inside the church building or outside the church building. It could be in your car. It could be at home. It could be while you're walking the street or on the sky train. It's whenever you realize who God is and you respond to him with love, humility, respect, honor, and you, you, you do those things to say, God, it's because of who you are. Amen. That's what true worship is about. It's responding to who God is, wherever you are. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2 is a couple of verses that have been really challenging me these past couple days, or past couple weeks, I should say. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. Why don't you read it with me in a loud voice? 1, 2, 3, it says, Be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly loved children, and live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. You know, sometimes when we read scripture, this is part of being intentional, guys. Sometimes we read scripture, it kind of glosses over me. Look at verse 1 again. Verse 1 again. Go back to verse 1. What, read within the loud voice one more time. One, two, it says, be imitators of God, therefore, as dearly love children. Stop right there. What does it say? Be imitators of God. Go back to verse 1, please. Be imitators of God. It means that we are meant to, we're meant to follow God in our attitude, in our values. We're called not just to be worshipers of God, but imitators of him too. Amen? Part of worshiping God is learning to become more like him in our character. We will never be, do a perfect job of it, but we want to do the best we can to imitate him. And it says this, as dearly loved children. How many of us know that you are loved by God? God loves you. When God sees you, he doesn't see a mess. He doesn't see a mistake. He sees his masterpiece. You are his beloved. He loves you. That's why he calls you dearly loved children. Look at verse 2. What does it say? And live a life of love, just as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us as a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. I want you to notice something as you look at the verse right now. Notice this. Jesus' offering, his fragrant offering and sacrifice to God was what? Was it a song? Was it a check? Was it a prayer? No. Jesus' offering and sacrifice to God was what he did for you and me. His worship was how he treated you and me. We didn't deserve for Jesus to treat us this well. But Jesus said, even though they don't deserve it, I'm going to love them and give myself up for them as my offering to my heavenly father. As my worship to my heavenly father. What does that teach you about what true worship is? Is that how you treat others 
is how you worship God. Amen. How you treat others is your worship to God. Remember once I was, you know, I'd just become a Christian maybe a year before, and I went to this camp, this, this Christian camp uh, that our church was holding, and I thought I experienced God in such a powerful way. And I remember I came back home. My sister went to it too, and she's my little sister, but she, she felt she experienced God as well. And, and we came back home to my, with my parents. We went out for like, a dinner. They had missed us for a few days. And you're like, oh, it's good to see you guys again. And you know, after a camp, you know, you're, you're, you're smelly and you're tired and you're kind of just like, you don't really want to do anything. You just want to go sleep because you haven't gotten much sleep. And so, so we were not very polite to our parents. And they're like, oh, good to see you guys again. Uh. And you know, oh, great to see you guys. How's the camp? Oh, it was fine. It was good. Okay, what, what, tell us about, oh, no, it's okay. And you know what? After a little bit went on, a bit of awkward silence, you know what my mom said at the, at this, at, at the restaurant table? She said, so, so this is what your church camp taught you, eh? how to be rude to your parents? I was like, oh, oh, oh. See, what was that? She was absolutely right. Is that I could claim that I experienced God so much worship God, hands lifted, jumping up and down like a maniac in the middle of a worship service. But if I go home and I treat my parents rudely, what really is my worship? My worship is nothing more than just an emotional experience. My worship is nothing more than a performance in front of people. See, that's the thing. How you treat others is how you worship God. And see, you know, once I was, I remember I was, I was preaching at another church. It was a few years back. And uh, I was a guest speaker there and I remember minutes before I'm about to go on the stage, I'm getting ready. I've prepared this message that I've worked hard on. I think it's going to bless the people. And I'm sitting or I'm standing at the front row, and I'm getting ready to go on the stage. And at that moment, minutes before I'm supposed to go up, I sense the Holy Spirit almost like poke me and say, JB, your worship begins when you go home. Your worship begins when you go home. What was, what was that? What was Holy Spirit saying? I was like, what? What, what do you mean? I, I'm worshiping you now. I'm about to preach the word of God. That's my worship. That's my offering. But see, the Holy Spirit said, no, no, no. Your worship begins when you go home. No, see, that's not saying that what happens in church is not important. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying that preaching the word of God is not important. He's not saying that singing songs to God is not important to him. But, he, but what, what the Holy Spirit was reminding me on that day was that when I go home and I spend time with my family, that is as much worship to God as anything I do in front of a crowd in a church setting. Amen. How I treat the people at home, how I treat my wife and my kids, how you know, I, I deal with other people. That is as much what God looks at for worship as anything that I do on the stage up here. It's because how you treat others is how you worship God. And if you're all hyped up in a worship service, but you treat people poorly, if you disrespect you know, your wife or your husband, you, you're rude to your parents, you're, you're impatient with your kids, you're a very consumer mentality when it comes to the people in your life, you take your leaders for granted, all that stuff. If that happens, then what happens, it doesn't matter how much you lift your hands, it doesn't matter how much you, you pray out loud, is that your worship is a little bit immature because you haven't realized yet that how you treat others is your worship to God as well. Amen. Amen. So let me ask you this question. When you look at the way that you have treated your family this past week, when you look at the way you've treated your leaders this past week, when you look at the way that you've treated your coworkers this past week, when you look at the way you treat your wife or your husband this past week, how well did you worship God? How well did you worship God? I'm here to tell you, those of you who serve 
in church here, you know, whether it's the worship team or it's the PowerPoint team or it's the sound crew or it's the, it's the ushers or prep team, is this, our worship is not just what happens during the first 20 minutes of our service when we sing three songs. It's also how we treat one another during that practice time when no one else is there. Amen. Praise God. We, we treat each other well. That's part of our worship to God. Husbands in this place, your worship is not just making it to church and sitting in a service. Your worship is how you speak to your wife on your way to church. Amen. Wives in this place, your worship is not just you taking notes during the sermon, but it's also how you talk to your husbands later on when you're upset at them. Amen. Parents in this place, your worship is not just on Sunday morning. It's also on Tuesday night when your kids are not behaving the way you want and you are trying your very best to not lose your temper and still lead them in a loving way. You know, young people in this place, your worship is not just, you know, the time you spend serving in church, but it's also how you speak to your mom when you get home. It's how you deal with your sisters or brothers at home when they're not, you know, being, uh, when they're being a little bit annoying. See, th those of you who are working, your worship is not just here today, but it's when you go back to your office and how you treat the people that you work with. It's when you're on the phone with a, a very difficult customer or a very difficult client, and they're being very demanding, and you're like, oh, and, you're and all you want to do is hang up right there and then, but you think, okay, how can I worship God by doing something that Jesus would do in this situation? Amen. That's worship to God. Students in this place, if you're studying right now, your worship to God is not simply going to a camp or going to church, but it's how you reach out to that classmate of yours that has no friends. Or that, that person in the church, or the person in the school who, who tends to get bullied a bit, gets picked on a bit. Your worship is how you treat and love that person. Matthew 25 verse 40 says it this way. Read it with me. It says, the king will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did for me. One of your biggest, most important ways to worship God is how you treat the people in your house, in your home, in your life. And so my question for you is this, this past week, this past season, how well have you been worshiping God with the way that you treat others? We want to be people who realize that how we treat others is our worship to God. And when you realize that, you're going to find something that happens. Is that when you know that how I treat this person matters to God, even as much as anything I do in a church service, when I know that how I treat that person matters to God, all of a sudden, I'm a bit more careful. All of a sudden, I'm a bit more thoughtful. Over, all of a sudden, I'm a bit more intentional. All of a sudden, I'm a bit more humble in the way I deal with that person because not only am I trying to give God glory, but what happens is my relationships improve and I grow up in the process. If you believe that, say amen. That is the heart of worship. It's when I put others' interests before me. It's when I'm patient with those who are making me or testing my patience. It's when I speak the truth in love instead of shying away in fear. It's whenever I realize that in response to who God is, I'm going to respond with love and faith and obedience and courage and humility in my relationships as well and treat every moment as a moment to worship God. Let's all read 1 Corinthians 10.31 together. What does it say? Big, loud voice, one, two, three, it says... 1031, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Is this helpful in this place? Are you guys learning something in this place this morning? Amen? Praise God. Last point we're going to close today. We're talking about growing as a worshiper of God. The first thing is we want to be intentional when we worship together. The second is even when we're on our own, we want to treat others well because that's how we worship God as well. Number three, learn to turn painful times into times of worship. See, if you want to grow and mature as a worshiper of God, it's about learning to take the painful moments and turn them into worship. See, it's easy to worship God when everything's going well, don't you find? 
I find that for me. Some people, they find that it's easier to draw near to God when things are not going well. For me, I find that you know, God uses both. He uses happy times. He uses sad times. I find that, but it's generally easier for me to praise God when everything's going well. I've got just, I feel like, you know, it's just a lot easier, a lot more natural to praise God. But how many of us know that if you want to mature as a worshiper of God, it's about learning to take your most painful times, your most frustrating times, the times when you just don't, you want to give up, those times when you feel like you have no solution, those times when you want, want to give up hope, it's turning those times into times of worship. How do you do that? How do you do that? Look at Job 1, verses 18 to 22 with me. This is a very famous story of a guy who had it all and then lost it all. Look at this. While he was still speaking, yet another messenger came and said, Your sons and daughters were feasting and drinking wine at the oldest brother's house. When suddenly a mighty wind swept in from the desert and struck the four corners of the house, it collapsed on them and they're dead. And I am now the only one who has escaped to tell you. Verse 20. At this, Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground in worship and said, Naked I came from my mother's womb. Naked I will depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. Job has just lost the most precious thing in his life. He's, he's lost his kids. And his response, we don't know if it was at that moment or not, but he basically said that at this, Job got up, he tore his robe, he shaved his head, which is a sign of mourning, and then he fell on the ground in worship. And he said, naked I came from my mother's womb, naked I'll depart. The Lord gave, the Lord has taken away, may the name of the Lord be praised. What is Job doing? He's trying to turn his most painful moment into a time of worship. How do you do that? How do you do that? You know, can, I, can I give you three practical ways that you can turn some of your most painful times into moments of worship. Sometimes, it's so, sometimes pain can be so numbing that you're, you're like, I can't focus on anything else. And the last thing I want to do is to worship God. But the fact is this, you need to take your painful moments and make them into times of worship because when you do so, your perspective is renewed. You start to see your situation a bit more clearly. When you don't take your pain to God, when you don't turn your painful moments into worshipful moments, you know what happens? You become very, very bitter. You, you, you walk around very frustrated, complaining all the time. And the, the, the way you see life is not exactly the way that God wants you to see it. When you get into the presence of God, you turn your pain into worship. What ends up happening is that he renews your perspective. He clarifies your vision. He renews your hope. He gives you strength again. That's why it's so important to turn your painful times into times of worship. It helps you to move on. Here are three ways that you can help turn a painful time into a time of worship. One is this. Remember that God has a purpose for your pain. Remember that God has a purpose for your pain. See, God doesn't just do things randomly. He, in all things, is working. And, you know, three things, three things that I've learned about God is that there are three reasons why God allows pain in our lives. It's not because he doesn't care. It's not because he's not there. But there are three reasons. I remember back in 2012, we were having our Easter service. It was back when our church was only having Saturday night services at the time. And some of you guys were around to remember this, is that my wife at the time was very, very pregnant. Very pregnant. Uh, To the point where uh, we didn't know when she was going to give birth. It was the Easter weekend service. And you guys know in church, Easter, the biggest weekend of the year. And we were getting ready for the service, and then all of a sudden, the night before the service, Shar is in bed, and she is like, uh, JB, I feel something. And I'm like, are you serious now? 
And, and so she's like, you know what? No, don't worry. Um, you know what? We're, let's just see how things go. We, she slept. She tried to sleep. And into the next morning, she kept on feeling. It's like, you know what? I think you can come anytime. But then she, she, she said to herself, you know what? I'm going to wait until the Easter service is over. Talk about being intentional in the way you worship God in church service, amen? So she's like, I'm, I'm going to wait until the service is over. And so, so you know, I, I preached the service. I preached at the service. Uh, it was the fastest message I ever preached. I'm kidding. You know, we, 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 we still did our good job with it. But, but we, we, we preached at the service. And right after the service, Char was like, okay, we got to go now. And so we, we, ran, we, 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 we drove off to the hospital. We, we, we checked ourselves in. And... Uh, you know, over the next, what, 12 hours or more than that, I can't even remember how long it was. It was a long delivery. And we thought, and, and, and when, when Bradley came out, it was one of the happiest moments of my life. And I remember that moment. I still have, I still, I still have videos of that moment where I'm talking to him the very first time. I talked to him before. You know, when Bradley was, was in Charlene's womb and in, in, still, still inside Char's body, I, 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 would, I would speak to him in the, in, in the, in, in, through her stomach. I'd be, hey, Bradley, it's Daddy. How's it going? And, 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 and but it was the first time for me to see him and to hold him. It was the happiest moment of my life. Um, things took a turn for the worse when we started doing some tests on Bradley and found out that he had uh, a, like a, a somewhat severe case of jaundice where uh, the, 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 the doctors were like, you know, we, we have to keep him here and we, we, we can't let him go yet. You guys have to hang on. Uh, maybe, maybe tomorrow. Let, let, let's, let's, let's wait until tomorrow. So we're like, okay, all right. We're looking forward to going home, but we wait, wait until tomorrow. We had, I had my sleeping bag on the, on the hospital room floor. We just slept it out. The next day, they t- did some more tests. And I'm, like, oh, I'm sorry. I- I'm sorry. We, we, can't, uh, we can't let him go home. We, we, we ought to keep him here. And, and this happened for days and days and days and days and days. It was almost a week. And at that point, it was, it was frustrating just kind of thinking to yourself, God, when, when is this going to turn around? And, and thinking to ourselves, you know, we, we put him, we, we have to put him under light therapy, put him in this incubator, and it's not comfortable for him, and he, it's hard for him to sleep. It's hard for us to get any sleep. And, and I remember being so frustrated at that point. And I remember I was walking through the, the hallways of the hospital. And I just, I went into a, a stairwell, which I thought was an empty stairwell. I just, I started crying out to God. and said, like, God, I don't know why this is happening. But I just prayed, God, would you please heal my baby? Would you please heal him? Would you please, I just surrender this whole situation. Would you please heal him? And in that moment, as I surrendered the situation to God, I just sensed the Holy Spirit say, he's going to be fine. Don't worry. And in that moment when I heard that, I was like, you know what? I'm going to go in faith with that. I went back, into the st- back, back out the stairwell. That, that stairwell was the most important place for me in that whole hospital because it was there that I felt the presence of God. It was there that I felt like God spoke to my heart. It was there that I felt like that stairwell became like a stairway to heaven for me at that moment. And I went back out, and I, I, and I, I, I told Char, Char, it's going to be okay. And Char, Char and I, we were both very worried, but we're like, okay, we're going to hang in there. Praise God. Right after that, you know, the next day, things made a, a huge, Bradley made a huge improvement. And the next day, a huge improvement. And so on that second day after that stairwell incident, we got to go home. And I got, got to bring him into the house and say, Bradley, welcome home. So glad you're here. And, you know, it, it was one of those situations that was painful. It was frustrating. But God showed me and taught me some very important lessons about pain through that process. Is that God does not allow pain for no reason. God allows pain for three reasons. The first is this. God uses pain to refine you. He uses pain to make you stronger, to help you mature into the person that he made you to be. It's very difficult to grow up or to get stronger or to build any muscles when there's no pressure. When, when everything is comfortable and everything's going well, you don't really grow. 
God allows the pressure of pain in your life not to be cruel to you, not to punish you, not because he's not there or doesn't care, but because he wants to help you build spiritual muscles that he knows that you need to help you conquer your battles in the future. So he gives you this pressure that you can handle so you can grow up and be refined in your character. If you believe that, say amen. That's the first reason God allows pain. The second reason God allows pain, God uses pain to remind you. He uses pain to remind you of what? See, as Christians, we can make this mistake of assuming that our lives on earth, because we have God, our lives on earth should be just like heaven, and that everything we should do should always go well. No, ever, never any problems, never any challenges, never any trouble. Actually, that's contrary to what Jesus says. Jesus says in John 16, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart for I've overcome the world. What is he trying to say? Is that, hey guys, while you live on earth, don't expect your life on earth to be just like heaven. Amen? Sometimes we make that mistake. And see, praise God, in our lives on earth, there's nothing sweeter than knowing Jesus. During our lives on earth, we have a bit of heaven. We have deposits of heaven. We have the Holy Spirit, a, a deposit guaranteeing the heaven that's to come. But that's not to say that life on earth is supposed to be heaven. It isn't. And very often we can get caught up in this very vending machine mentality with God is that if we push the right buttons, if we pay our tithes, that we should get everything that we want. But see, God is not a vending machine. And, and you, know, when, when, you know what happens when you don't get what you want from a vending machine? What do you do? You kick the vending machine, right? You start hitting the vending machine. What's wrong with you? What's wrong with you? And so a lot of us, we do that with God is that we have this expectation that if we push the right buttons, we pay the money that we're supposed to pay, we should get what we want. But see, that's not the way that life works. God says, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. See, when you go through pain in life, let it be a reminder that heaven is not here, but heaven is coming. Amen? That heaven is not here, but heaven is on the way. Praise God that while we have trouble here on this earth, God's promise is that one day we will be with him in a place where there's no more crying and no more pain, no more fear, no more shame. But that is not here right now. That is coming. It's a reminder, don't put all your stock in this life as if it's all about this life because this life is just preparation for the next. It's a place called heaven. Amen. So whenever you're going through tough times, you can just say, God, thank you that heaven is on the way. God, thank you that one day I'm going to heaven. God, thank you that this marriage stuff that we're going through, thank you that in heaven I'm not going to be married anymore. Amen? You don't have to say that. You don't have to say that. But you can think along the lines of, you know, heaven is on its way. That's the second reason why God allows pain. This is helpful in this place. Number three, the third reason God allows pain is to reveal his power through you. See, God allows pain not to be cruel to you, not to punish you, but it's because he wants to show his power through your weakness. And, and that's why you're going to find, if you look at different guys, different gals in the Bible, in Scripture, some of the people that God used the most were also the people that he allowed to experience the most pain in life. You have, you know, Hannah barren for so many years, you know, mocked by her relatives, and she comes to God with her pain, surrenders that pain to God. She's like, God, I don't know what else to do. I just ask for you for help, and then God ended up using her in a powerful way. You got a guy called, you know, like Zerubbabel. We're looking at them in the book of Ze Zechariah together, and for 16 years, he's, he's trying to build this temple, trying to build this church, and nothing is going on. It's like there's, it's just, it's like there's, 
plateau after plateau after plateau, and he's so frustrated, and God encourages him, don't give up, I'm here with you. You've got your guy like Jesus, Jesus, the son of God, who he endures so much pain, more pain than what, anything we could ever imagine, and he goes through that as well. It goes to show that God, you know, it doesn't matter who you are, you're not exempt from pain in this earth, but it's not because God is cruel. He wants to reveal his power through you. In fact, in some ways, the amount of pain you go through is also a measure of how much God wants to use you in your life. That's also one thing that God does. Look at Romans 8, 28 together. What does it say? It says, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. See, God is writing a greater story than you could ever write for yourself. And see, no story is really interesting if there's no pain where there's no unexpected turns. And so whenever you go through an unexpected turn, whenever you go through a crisis, whenever you go through a, a very painful time, whenever you lose someone that you love, whenever you go through uncertainty in your finances, when you ever go through stuff that worries you so much, remember this, God is not done with your story. God is not done writing the story in your life. He's gonna use even the pain in your life to reveal his power and to write a story that is far greater than anything that you could write yourself. If you believe that, put your pens down, give God a big, big hand here in this place right now. That's what God does for you and me. Amen. Amen. The second thing you want to do if you want to turn your pain into worship, run to God and surrender your pain to him. Eight years ago, uh, when my brother-in-law passed away suddenly, it was an event that devastated our family. One of the most powerful moments in that whole time, uh, two of them. One was when uh, you know, we weren't around when it happened. And when, we, when Charlene and I were traveling uh, you know, from Vancouver to Taiwan, we rushed over as fast as we could, took, took the first flight we could. And uh, we met with my father-in-law, my mother-in-law, and we just, we just hugged each other and we just started to weep. It was the saddest moment that we've ever been through as a family. And, um, but one of the more, pow more powerful things that happened during that time was that um, my father-in-law, who'd been, I guess, pretty opposed to Christianity for a very long time, um, you know, someone who, you know, believed in God, but just wasn't really sure who it was and kind of just remained at a distance, you know, he, he went to church for the first time. And for the first time, it was like his heart was open to the message of the gospel. And in that moment, you know, the, the pastor during that service asked, you know, does, does anyone want to just surrender your pain to God and, and receive Christ? You know, he, he raised his hands the highest I've ever seen him raise him. And, and this, we're sitting in the back of the service, and there's, like, there's lots of people in the service, but all I can look at is my father-in-law, who's, who's got both hands. And, and he's weeping, and he's crying out, and he's, 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 he's grieving for the lost, his lost son. He's doing all those things. And, you know, the incredible thing is that after Dan's funeral, just a few hours later, he decided, my, my, my father-in-law decided, I'm going to get baptized. And so we, we baptized him just hours after the funeral. And since that time, it's like my father-in-law, because he learned to surrender his pain to God, he found a peace with God and a peace with himself that he couldn't find anywhere else. It's because he drew near to God and surrendered to him. And can I tell you this? If you are in a tough place right now, if you're in a painful time, don't run away from God. Don't run away from God. Run to God. Run to him.
because he is the one who can take your pain. He's the one who can bring you the comfort that you need. He's the one who is in control. He's the one who loves you. If you will take the time to surrender your pain to God and spend time in his presence, you will find that you, are, you will receive a peace that passes understanding. It's God's promise to those of us who will surrender to him and run to him in our pain. If you believe that, say amen. Look at Job 1, 20 and 21 together. 1, 2, 3, it says, At this, Job got up and tore his robe and shaved his head. Then he fell to the ground in worship. He said, Naked I came from my mother's womb. Naked I will depart. The Lord gave and the Lord has taken away. May the name of the Lord be praised. Here's a question for you today as we end off this morning. Is there a painful situation that you need to surrender to God? Maybe it's the loss of someone you love. Maybe it's a disappointment that you carried with you for a very, very long time. Maybe it was a betrayal. Maybe it was some stuff that someone said that hurt you. Maybe it's, you know, something that happened that you were like, you know, you did your very best and still things didn't work out the way you wanted. Is there a painful situation that you need to surrender to God today? If you will run to God and surrender your pain to him, that's turning your painful times into times of worship. And you, can, you might even find that your most painful times if you will bring them to Jesus, can become your most powerful moments of worshiping him. If you believe that, say amen. Last thing is if you want to turn your painful moments into times of worship, it's about learning to persevere in doing the right thing. Persevere in doing the right thing. You know, when, when you're going through a painful time, it's very easy and natural to want a quick fix. You want everything to be done now. Easy solution. Fix it all immediately. Instant solution. But see, here's the thing. Sometimes there is no sexy, simple, quick solution to the problem. Sometimes all you can do is pray and persevere. That's what Job did. That's what Hannah did. That's what Zerubbabel did. That's what Paul, who had, you know, what he said was a, a thorn in his flesh. We don't know what exactly it was, but it gave him torment. And all he could do was pray and persevere. That's what Jesus did. In fact, let's look at Hebrews 12, 1 to 3 together. Can you read it with me in a loud voice? One, two, three, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning his shame, and sat down to the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Sometimes the only way you can turn a painful time into a time of worship is just to persevere. It's to not give up. It's say, I know I've met challenge after challenge after challenge. I know I've hit disappointment after disappointment after disappointment, but I am not going to give up. I'm, I'm still here. I'm going to persevere until the very end. I'm not going to stop now. I'm going to keep on going until I get to the finish line, just like Jesus. He didn't, he didn't let the, the, the challenge in front of him stop him. He threw off everything that hindered and the sin that so easily entangles, and he ran with perseverance. The race marked out for him. I am going to do the same thing until I hit the finish line that God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Amen. 
And sometimes you're going to find that perseverance is your best form of worship. It's that just by hanging on, you're worshiping Jesus. Just by not giving up, you're giving God worship. Just by hanging on and saying, I'm going to persevere, you are responding to who God is and giving him love. You're, you're responding in faith. You're giving him humility. You're giving him honor. You're giving him praise. You're trusting in him. Because sometimes the greatest way you can worship God in your pain is just to persevere. If you believe that, give God a big, big hand here in this place today. Amen. And so if you've been hitting roadblock after roadblock after roadblock at work, roadblock after roadblock after roadblock at, your, at home in your marriage, and you just get so frustrated sometimes going, when will it change? When will it be different? And you are in that place where you want to give up. Can I tell you this? Persevere in doing the right thing. Because when you persevere in doing the right thing, when you surrender your, your, your pain to God and you run to Him, when you say, God, I remember that you're a good God, that in all things you are working for the good of those who love you. All things, disappointing things, frustrating things, things that surprise me, things that I don't want, things that I didn't expect, everything, in all things, you are working for my good and for your glory. You're not done yet. Your story is still continuing. The best is still to come. When you come with that kind of attitude, you turn your painful moment into a moment to give God worship and honor and glory with your life. Come on, give God a big, big hand here in this place right now. Amen. And so if you are going through that today, can I tell you, don't give up. Persevere. Hang in there. Hebrews 10, 35, 36, the last verse for today. Read it with me. It says, so do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. Keep on going. You need to persevere so that when you've done the will of God, you will receive what he has promised. Tell the person, you need to persevere. Give the person on your right and your left a high five and say, you need to persevere. Give the person behind you in front of you, give them a high five and say, you need to persevere. You need to persevere. You need to persevere. Let's all stand and respond to God in this place. You need to persevere. Praise God, when we persevere, when we give our struggles to God, our pain to God, when we remember that God does these things not to punish us, not to be cruel to us, but he does it to refine us, to remind us, to reveal his power through us, then all of a sudden, our painful moments become times of worship. Come on, let's just worship God here in this place right now. We're not, not, not even gonna wait for anything else right now. We're just gonna worship.